My team is in the yellow. I am at the very top of the screen, right in front of the word Wayne. If you can see Wayne in the blue. I'm in the yellow, um, and there's a guy guarding me right there, right by the word Wayne. So that's why I am when I start the video, all right? Ball side out at 5.26 for the second quarter. Here is Axon. Quick pass over to DeWitt Scott on the drive. Goes all the way in. Look at that, will you? He slams it. <laughs> DeWitt. DeWitt Scott. DeWitt Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so that was when I was a younger man, and I could jump. I can't jump anymore. My knees are very old. Um, but that is a short clip of my time in the develop, development league, NBA development league. Uh, I played for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is the Indiana Pacers D-League team. Um, so that is the opening to my discussion today, which I call Ball is Life, how I use basketball and did not, did not allow it to use me. Um, so I want to open up first by saying, as a kid, born and raised on the south side of Chicago, on the southeast side of Chicago, where I live, um, I all we did every day was play basketball. I never learned how to play any other sport. I never played an instrument. We played basketball eight days a week, my friends and I, my family and I. That's all we did. Because of that, we sort of valued certain things and did not value things that we should. So for instance, basketball was all we did all day, every day. School wasn't valued as much, all right? It wasn't cool to be academically inclined. It wasn't cool to achieve in school. What was cool was what you could do on the basketball court. It was, we literally, it was literally a culture of you would be in school, you would have the kids who would get A's and B's, but you would tell them at 3.30 when we get outside, you can't guard me. So all that schoolwork that you're doing, so what? It's no good. You can't guard me, right? And I tell the story all the time. I, my, in my academic years in elementary school, I was a very average student. I was right in the middle. Like I, B's maybe, no A's, a lot of C's, right? Didn't really care too much about school. When I got in eighth grade, uh, I was in eighth grade, I actually, um, I had my name, I made it inside, I made it to the uh, Chicago Sun-Times. Chicago Sun-Times wrote about me. That was a big thing then, it's not a big thing now because you got websites every five minutes where you can look up everything. But at that time, with no internet, I said it, no internet. Uh, <laughs> Make, having your name in the newspaper was a huge thing. So in the eighth grade, I, my name is in the newspaper as one of the top players in the city. I brought it to school. I gave it to my principal. My principal, she loved it. She looked at it. She said it was wonderful. She blew it up. She literally took the, the article, which was this big, and she blew it up into a poster-sized page. She took that poster-sized page and she put it by the front door of the school so that anytime anybody came out and came into the school by the, um, the main office, they could see my name, they could see the article, the date, the Chicago Sun-Times and everything. I loved it, of course. I was 13 at the time. It was just fantastic for my name to be in the paper and to get that recognition. But also, implicitly, it's, it, it sent a message to me. My principal and my teachers, they celebrated my basketball ability. But at no point did a teacher or a principal ever celebrate any, anything I did academically. At the time, you don't think of it that deeply. I was like, hey, that's fine. You know? So I, w I had the understanding that being great on the basketball court was far more important than being great in the classroom. Just so long as I did enough to stay eligible on the basketball court, then I would be fine, right? This here is a picture of me 
uh, 16 years old, I went to Whitney Young High School, um, which is academically one of the best high schools in the country, hands down. At that high school, that man in that picture, he had a 2.5 GPA, right in the middle part of that curve, that meaty section, a, a good C student, right? Because I majored in basketball. This is all, this is, this is all I played, majored in basketball, that's all I did. Um, that was my focus. So in high school, um, my senior year, I was an all-state player, uh, I was an all-city player, all-public league player, all-conference, all-everything. Um, because that's what I, again, that's what I focused on. That was my life. This here, this is a picture of the neighborhood that I was born and raised in. Uh, born and raised in Jeffrey Manor on the south, southeast side of Chicago. I did not, I did not move out of this neighborhood until I was 26 years old. All right. This sort of neighborhood has a different sort of value system. I'm not, I did not spend time on the street. I'm not a person in the street, uh, the street at all. But in this sort of neighborhood, academics is just not value. It's not cool. It's more about what you can do physically, whether you can play basketball or we would have guys when we grew up in the neighborhood that said, hey, I can't read, but I can fight. Right? And they would challenge you to a fight. So if you read books all day, but you couldn't fight, you look like a fool. Right? This is the neighborhood I grew up in. Like I said, I didn't move out until I was 26. We value basketball. This is all we did. Right? I went to Whitney Young, graduated Whitney Young, as I said, all-state basketball player, and got a Division I scholarship to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. The University of Maryland Eastern Shore is a Division I school right outside of Baltimore, but it's a historically black institution. Right? These three pictures, they sort of sum up my year at University of Maryland Eastern Shore. The middle picture is like the team picture that you have to take right, when you pose and everything. It's real normal. The picture to the right, me shooting the ball, that's what I did. I shot the ball. I was not passing. I never passed. I was a shooter. That was my forte. Right? On the far end, or um, to the left of the screen, that actually is a picture from my very first college game. Uh, we play at Auburn. I'm trying to play defense. Obviously, I'm behind him. Right? If you can see, I got, I, I'm, I'm grabbing him by the jersey. He ain't going too far. Right? But some tricks that I picked up. But this was my freshman year in college. Um, as I said, Middle Eastern Shores is a historically black, uh, historically black university. Being born and raised on the south side, which was, again, predominantly black. My neighborhood was 100% black. The south side of Chicago is 97% black. I go to a historically black college at 18 years old. My first 18, 19 years, I have only been surrounded by predominantly black people. This is all I knew at the time, right? I did one year at this school. Uh, my coach got fired at the end of my freshman year. Out of loyalty to him, I felt it would be best that I transferred, so I left. This is the school that I transferred to. <laughs> Take a look at that picture. Take a look at this picture. <laughs> Those are two totally different worlds. This was a world that I knew. I did not know anything about this world. Right? Not only, and, and I, we could talk about it from a, a racial or a, a cultural background, but even the fact that they're sitting in the grass reading books. Jeffrey Manor doesn't have grass. If it did, we wouldn't sit in the grass. And if we sat in the grass, we wouldn't read books. Right? This is a totally different world than what I was used to, but this is the college that I transferred to at the age of 19. Uh, the name of the school is Indiana University, Purdue University at Fort Wayne, or we call it IPFW. Most people know the twin, uh, twin school, IUPUI. People call it Ui Pui. 
It's a combination of Indiana University and Purdue University in one location for students who cannot make it to the larger campuses. They had a basketball team. This is who I played for. So one more, one more time. This is where I come from. This is where I'm in school. This is a major culture shock for me. Major culture shock. To add to the culture shock, NCAA Division I has rules. If you transfer from one Division I school to another Division I school, you have to what's called redshirt, which means you have to sit out for an entire year. You can't play. Mind you, all I knew how to do was play basketball. I didn't like school. I didn't take it seriously. I didn't do anything else in my life. I didn't play any other sports. I didn't play any other instruments. So now I get to this school and you're telling me I can't play for a year. On top of that, this culture, this environment is so new to me. It's so foreign to me. I don't know what to do. I'm like a fish out of water, right? So now I'm in an uncomfortable place and I'm not allowed to do what, I, what I've been doing my entire life. So what do I do? And that's what my grandmother, she was so worried about me. What is he going to do? He's going to sit up there all day long. He's going to go crazy. What is he going to do? A lot of times guys in this situation, they get in these situations and they get in trouble because they get bored. And when you, when you get bored, you start to get creative, right? And not in a good way. So my red shirt year, I'm out here with these guys walking across the grass, all right? Trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my time. The team is traveling. They're away from me. I'm not around. I, I, I can't really, I, I mean, once the season gets going, you don't practice as much. I got a lot of downtime. So what do I do? This is a picture of the year that I did play, right? If you can see, I got a little more hair in the picture. It's kind of dark. That's, that's when I used to have hair. I don't have any hair anymore. But uh, this is where I'm at. This is my school. What do I do during that year? I got an entire year to sit on my hands, right? I began to read, and I began to read deeply. Um, it started, first and foremost, with the first book on the screen to the top left. It's a, it's a book entitled Black Man by Haki Matabuti. Interesting story on how I got that book, and that book sparked all of the other books and sparked my reading to this day. I was in Chicago. I was in, on the south side on 75th Street um, one day, and I was at a store. I was buying a T-shirt. I just wanted to buy a T-shirt. I get into the store. I pick out the T-shirt. I take it to the register, and the guy behind the register, he's kind of busy, but he's trying to check me out, but he's doing something else at the time. He has the book. The book is laying on the counter right where I'm standing. Then I, you know, I didn't pay any mind. I just picked it up. I started to breeze through it while he's behind the counter doing what he's doing. As I breeze through it, I fall in love with the words on the pages. Like, I just can't put it down. So when he gets to me and he says, okay, your shirt, he rings up my shirt, it's $20. I ask him, I say, hey, I know this is your book, but I'll buy it from you. How much can I, how much can I pay for this book? And for him, it was like free money, right? He, this is not it's part of his store inventory. I was, here's his young kid. I was 20 years old. Here's his kid. I'll sell it to him, right? He sold it to me for $10, which is robbery, but I didn't know. He sold it to me for $10. I wasn't a reader at the time. I didn't know what books cost. I got my T-shirt. I got the book. I paid for it. I left out. I read this book in one day, cover to cover, 24 hours. I read this book. The book opened my eyes, changed my thinking so much about who I am and what I'm supposed to be as opposed to what I've learned that I was supposed to be. It was amazing. On the back of the book, this is a newer edition, so it's not the same. On the back of the book, there was an address to the publishing company. And it was on 78th and Dobson, which is just east of Cottage Grove on the south, on the south side. 
I was so fascinated by the book that when I came, the next time I came back to Chicago, I drove to the address unannounced. I didn't call. I didn't email anybody. I just said, this book was so great. I need to go to this place and see what's in this building. I get there. I meet the guy who wrote this book. His name is Hakeem Adabuti. I tell him, I say, look, I don't know anything about you. I'm 20 years old, but this book was fantastic, right? He looks at me and he says, come with me. And he gives me a bag of free books from the publishing, from the, the company, all different titles, just free books. I took all those books and I read through them like crazy during that downtime. The books on this screen are the seven most influential books that I read that year, my red shirt year. Autobiography of Malcolm X, which is a, a classic uh, across uh, all genres. Breaking the Chains of Psychological Slavery by Naeem Akbar. Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Um, the autobiography, or the biography of Elijah Muhammad. $40 million slaves, which really breaks down professional athletics, which really hit home for me. And the autobiography of Asada Shakur, um, who is uh, on political asylum in Cuba right now. These seven books over that year really transformed how I thought. If I go back. In that neighborhood, I was told, not directly, but from the people around me and from the actions and the things that we did, I was told who I was supposed to be. And being smart wasn't cool. Playing basketball was cool. I get here, I read these books, and I come to find out that there were a lot of people before me who were extremely intelligent that looked like me. And what I learned was being smart actually is the coolest thing I could possibly do. Why? Because nobody else I know has achieved academically. Nobody else I know has, has done anything. Everybody, I know a whole bunch of people that play great basketball, right? I come from a family of basketball players, friends, everything. I didn't know one person who had achieved in college. Not one, right? These books taught me that you can achieve in college, not only that you can, but I'm supposed to. And I can make it look cool. From reading, I picked up four what I call spiritual mentors for me. First and foremost, it starts with Malcolm X, right in the middle. Everything about Malcolm, I, I learned everything I could. I've read, I've read so many books about Malcolm. Watched the movie, I know the words to the movie word by word, thanks to Spike Lee. Right? In the top right hand corner is a picture of W.E.B. Du Bois. Du Bois, hands down, I believe, is the greatest scholar of all time. It, you can argue it, but his productivity is unbelievable. And the bottom left is Stokely Carmichael, or Kwame Ture, uh, a former black power uh, nationalist, no longer alive. But his story, the story of these three men, really, really did a lot for me, opening my eyes. Now, the last guy at the top, in the top left hand corner, that is Hakeem Adabuti the man who wrote this book. Once I met him that day when I was 20, he ended up being a mentor to me and still is to this day. He and I are close. He's 73 years old, but we talk on a regular basis. He teaches me a lot. Even if you notice in his picture, the picture right there, he has a stack of books underneath his head, underneath his face. That's what he does. These four men taught me that being smart was cool. I had never ever had anyone before me, not my dad, not my mom, that taught me that being smart was cool. Once I studied these four men, I wanted to be as smart as I possibly could. It became my goal to be as sm the smartest person I possibly could. I got a long way to go, according to my wife. <laughs> but these are the four men that made me want to be intelligent. So that was the sit-out year, right? I sat out, had to sit out. Now back to my life, playing basketball, which is what I love to do. This here is a clip um, from my first year after my sit-out year when I played um, at IPFW. 
That's a look at White. Let's take a look at this kid. He is DeWitt Scott. He is from IPFW. He's got a great look at three-point shot. Could be a force tonight. Got to know where he is on the court all the time. Not let him get started. Mastodons and their starting lineup. The Boilermakers and their starters when we come back. So that was, a, that was a clip from a nationally televised game from my college, um, my college days when we played at Purdue. Um, anytime we played nationally, nationally televised games on ESPN, ESPN would always watch me warm up and put the camera right in your face. Any of you all who watch college basketball, even NBA basketball, you see that it's sort of a normal thing, right? Michigan State, when we played at Michigan State, we played at Wisconsin, we played at Purdue, all of these schools, ESPN would come up and they would do that to me right before the game. As cool as it looks on TV, it's the most annoying thing on earth. You're trying to warm up, and there's a camera guy here, and there's another guy that's holding like something else. Like, I don't know what he's holding, but it's two guys, and they literally follow you with every step. When you go to shoot here, they come, and you go to shoot here, and then you back up, or whatever it is, they follow you everywhere you go. You literally can't get comfortable, right? Not to mention, it brings a lot of attention on you before the game. So I'm sitting in Mackey Arena, I'm sitting in, in the Breslin Center, 17,000 people, and they're looking like, well, if they didn't know who I was before, they don't know who I am now, because ESPN won't stop following me. That was the life I lived. That, was, that, that clip was 2005, so you're talking 11 years ago. With that, I went on to have a pretty good career at IPFW. I finished second all-time in scoring for the school. I scored 1,000 points in less than three years. I finished top 10, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, minutes played, games played, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, there's some guys that sort of kind of topped me since I left, but if you came after me, I don't count you. Right? <laughs> but that summed up my, my, um, my college career. This here, I'm going to give you another sort of short clip about my time as a college player. Notice the afro. I used to have a lot of hair. And notice me as I shout and I jump as I run down the court. I was a very animated, very emotional player, much like the Kevin Garnett's. And I did a lot of screaming and talking and yelling and smiling and all of that. Um, but that's who I was. I was a shooter. I was um, a, a pretty decent player in my college years. Um, after college, as I moved beyond college and graduated, I went on to play in the NBA Development League for the Fort Wayne Maddens. That's when I had muscles. I don't have any muscles anymore. <laughs> I'm much thinner now. Uh, but that, this was my, my rookie year in the D League. Um, as you can see, just like the culture from what I learned coming up, a lot of tattoos. I have a lot of tattoos, right? If you, can, you can't see them, when you look closely, I have the, a basketball tattooed on my right arm. We literally slept, drank, ate, prayed basketball. We didn't go to church on Sundays because we were playing basketball Sunday morning. I literally played basketball every single day, right? That's why my knees are so old and so bad now. But this is who I was. The haircut is, that's the DeWitt you all know. Right? <laughs> no afro there and a wide smile. But this is my rookie year. This is a picture of me shooting. I, I wanted to be a Ray Allen copycat. Um, Ray Allen just retired a couple of days ago. But this is probably the best picture of my jump shot straight up and down. I was an old school player. I had the really high socks. 
right? I just, that's who I was. I, I, didn't, I, I wasn't pretty at all, right? No headband, no arm sleeve. I kept it very simple, and that's who I was. These are some other shots for me in my D-lead time. Um, the middle shot is the best. I'm, I'm literally shooting over two people. Right? I don't pass. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm shooting over two people if I got to fade away. Right? And some other shots of me playing basketball, I mean, um, playing defense, uh, driving to the bucket and passing. Um, what, what's most interesting about the D-League time is that the habit that, of reading that I picked up in my reassure year in college, I, di I didn't lose it. As a matter of fact, it increased throughout my time, um, throughout college and into the development league. Now, as I said before, what I learned as a kid, being smart isn't cool, playing basketball is cool. So typically what you have is, in the basketball culture, to be smart is not to be cool. So on my college teams, and specifically in the D-League, which is a professional league with NBA players and grown men, your free time, the downtime that you have when you're not playing, it's not really a downtime. It's a lot of activity, right? In that activity, during that, during that active time, I read. I read books. My teammates, we'd be in a hotel. They'd go out at night. I'd stay in and read. We'd be on a plane. They'd be in the back. They would shoot dice. I'd read. We'd be on a bus. They'd play cards. I would read, right? This, was, this is what I was doing in the downtime. So what ended up happening, I ended up becoming the square of the team, right? DeWitt's the lane. DeWitt's the square. He's always reading. I didn't necessarily fit in person, as far as personality goes. Basketball and its intellectualism does not come together, truth of the matter. You can say it for larger sports, but I can tell you personally, basketball intellectualism does not come together. I didn't care. I wanted to be smart, but I love to play basketball. I tried my best on that angle to bring them together, and that's like pulling teeth, right? You can't get basketball players to sit down and read or to even think about anything other than trivial things, but I tried, right? I added these two pictures in because non-basketball people, when I'm out and about, they always tell me, DeWitt, you're so tall. You're, like, you're the tallest person in the room. You're the tallest person ever, right? If you look at the first picture on the left, I mean, my team is in the yellow. I'm standing in front of this guy with my arms fully extended, as high as I can go, and it makes no difference to him. That's how big he is. He's looking right over me as if I'm not even there, right? The second picture in the red, I'm in the red. I'm underneath the basket. These two guys are seven footers. I'm looking up at them as it, I'm really looking at them like I don't want no trouble. <laughs> Whatever's going on down there, I just want y'all to figure it out and pass me the ball when you get out of there, right? Playing basketball at this level, which is right, belief, right beneath the NBA level, I am not a tall person. I am one of the shorter men on the court. All right, these guys are huge. They take up a lot of space. I, was, I had no business down here around the basket anyway. All right? I was on the perimeter. But that's why I added these pictures, to give some perspective. Right? My time in the D-League, I played for a few years, and the time came, just like it always does for anything, when you know that it's coming to an end. Right? You know it's coming to an end. And this is a game, or this is activity I have been doing all my life, literally since I was six years old. It's all I ever did, it's all I ever cared about was playing basketball. So the day that I knew that playing basketball formally was over was probably the most devastating day in my life. I cried. And when I say cry, I don't mean I had tears, like those tears where you just, I couldn't breathe. It, I, 
Literally. It's the honest to God truth. Yeah. I could not breathe because I knew that my time playing formal, uh, a formal game of basketball was over. It took me a few days to get myself together. I was like, what do I do? I'm in my mid-20s. Life is over. All right? I'm an old man. <laughs> Can't play basketball. What do I do? Fortunately enough, my red shirt year had taught me that there was something else that I, I was more interested in. Or I don't want to say more. Something that I was interested in besides basketball. And that was intellectual pursuits. I wanted to be smart. I wanted to be as smart as I could. Once I got done playing basketball, I started to work at, at the college level. Um, started working um, at a four-year university. This picture here is actually here in Moraine Valley. Um, as I started to, to um, do what I could on, on, on this side uh, of basketball. And this here is a picture from my graduation this past April um, when I received my doctorate. Um, my doctorate degree in, in educational leadership. So uh, as of April 8th, 2016, I'm Dr. DeWitt Scott. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough in that red shirt year to find something else that brought purpose to my life besides that orange round basketball, right? In that picture, I'm smiling, you know, I got the, the tam on, the, the hat. You know, that's the different type of sort of hat. For those that don't know, that's the doctoral hat. You got to get the, the PhD or EDD to get that hat. But that was me in, in, in the robe and everything, just excited. So as I got into this line of work, I still had a love for basketball, but my thought was, well, what can I do now? I, I can't play basketball anymore, but I'm still young. I'm still working. What do I do? And thinking about my two worlds, basketball and reading and intellectualism, I said, well, it's probably best if I try to bring those worlds together after my basketball career. So since then, that's really been my goal, to try to make smart look cool, all right? We grew up in a, well, I grew up in a, in a society where basketball looked cool, being smart, not so much. I can't play basketball no more, but I still got the basketball coolness. It's there, all right? Some of these guys over here know because I beat them one-on-one -on -one in the past few weeks. The basketball is there. I want to merge the coolness of basketball with the academics and the intellectualism, right? How do you do that? Got some pictures, some of these guys over here, they have pictures up here on, on, on the screen. <laughs> basketball in most sports has a certain sort of swagger to it, right? It's, it's a certain sort of energy that you bring even before you step on the court to send a message to the opponent that although we're not on the court yet, when we get there, you're going to lose. Right? It's psychological. It's in every sport, football, basketball. The way you carry yourself before the game, the way you carry yourself in the warm-up, the way you carry yourself on the off day is to let you know, when we get on the court, you're in trouble, you can't touch me. Right? How, do you, how do you take that ethos and bring it off the basketball court? You bring it to academia. Right? With these guys in this picture, in, in, in my three-shot picture here, we dress nice and we dressed up. Right? But it also sends a message. Not only am I dressed nice, I'm good enough to beat you in anything I do. Intellectually, academically, I'm going to write a, the best paper. I'm going to answer the best questions. I'm going to have the best presentation. I look the best. So you know you can't touch me, all right? But we're not talking basketball. We're not talking sports. We're talking academics. That's been the goal, or that's been my purpose from this point forward, for us or for young guys to have an understanding not only do I look good, I look good because I am good, because I am smart, and I'm supposed to be smart. I'm supposed to be good. This is what is cool. This is what we try to do.
Some of the guys, guys, you raise your hand if you're in the picture. Some of the guys in the room, here they are. This is what we do every single Wednesday. We call it Get Fresh Wednesday from the Get Fresh crew. But this is sort of a snapshot of what we do. Main purpose, main point, smart is cool because we make it cool, right? Just as cool as anything else. We take basketball, we merge it with academics, bring that same swag and attitude. You can't be stopped. Thank you.